Section 7 of Light Science for Leisure Hours. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Light Science for Leisure Hours by Richard A. Proctor. Britain's Coal Cellars. It would have been deemed a strange thought in the days of the Tudors to suggest that England's greatness would one day depend, or seem to depend, on her stores of coal, a mineral then regarded only as an unpleasant rival of the wood log for household fires. When Shakespeare put into the mouth of Falconridge the words, This England never did nor never shall lie at the proud foot of a conqueror but when it first did help to wound itself he would have thought it a singular proviso that england should be watchful of her coal stores if she would preserve her position among the nations and yet there is a closer connection between the present greatness of Britain and her mighty coal cellars underlying certain British countries that we are commonly prepared to acknowledge. Saxon steadiness and Norman energy have doubtless played their part in placing Britain in the position she now holds, but whatever have been the case in past ages of our history, it is certainly that, at present, there is much truth in Liebig's assertion that England's power is in her coal. The time may come again, as the time has been, when we shall be less dependent on our coal stores, when bitumous bankruptcy will not be equivalent to national bankruptcy. If all our coal mines were at this moment rendered unworkable, the power of England would receive a shock from which it would be ages in recovering. I have quoted an assertion made many years since by Baron Liebig. The assertion was accompanied by another not less striking. Civilization, he said, is the economy of power, and English power is coal. It is on this text that I propose now to comment. There has recently been issued a blue book, bearing in the most important matter on the subject of England's coal supply. For five years, fifteen eminent commissioners have been engaged in examining the available evidence respecting the stores of coal contained in the various coal fields of Great Britain. Their inquiries were commenced soon after the time when the fears of the country on this subject were first seriously awakened, and were directed specially to ascertain how far those fears were justified by the real circumstances of the case. It will be well to compare the various opinions which were expressed before the inquiries were commenced with the results which have now been obtained. In the first place, it should be noticed that the subject had attracted the attention of men of science many years ago. Some forty years have passed since Dr. Buckland, in one of the Bridgewater Treaties, 
pointed to the necessity for a careful examination of our coal stores lest england should drift unaware into what he calls bitumous bankruptcy at that time the quantity of coal raised annually in england amounted to but about forty millions of tons ten years later the annual yield had risen to about fifty millions of tons and then another warning voice was raised by dr arnold ten more years passed and the annual yield had increased to eighty three million six hundred and thirty five two hundred and fourteen tons when mr hall made the startling announcement that our coal stores would last us but about two centuries unless some means were adopted to check the lavish expenditure of our black diamonds but it was undoubtedly the address of sir w armstrong to the british association in eighteen sixty three which first roused the attention of the country to the importance of the subject the greatness of england he said depends much upon the superiority of her coal in cheapness and quality over that of other nations but we have already drawn from our choicest mines a far larger quantity of coal than has been raised in all other parts of the world put together and the time is not remote when we shall have to encounter the disadvantages of increased cost of working and diminished value of produce then he summed up the state of the case as he viewed it the entire quantity of available coal existing in these islands has been calculated to amount to eighty thousand millions of tons which at the present rate of consumption will be exhausted in nine hundred and thirty years but with a continued yearly increase of two and three-quarter millions of tons would only last two hundred and twelve years other statements were not wanting however when presented matters in a more favorable light mr hussey vivian m p expressed the opinion that south wales alone could supply all england with coals for five hundred years mr r c taylor of the geological society said that our coal stores would suffice for seventeen hundred years and there were some who adopted a yet more sagging view of our position on the other hand mr edward hull of the geological society calculated that with an increase of but one million and a half of tons per annum considerably less than even the average increase for the preceding decade our coals would last us but a little more than three hundred years mr stanley jevons in his masterly treatise on the coal question adopted a mode of considering the increase which has led to an even more unpleasant conclusion than any hereto obtained he observed that the quantity of coal raised in successive years is not merely increasing but the amount of increase is itself increasing we of course regard not he said the average annual arithmetical increase of coal consumption between eighteen fifty four 
and eighteen sixty three which is two million four hundred and three thousand four hundred and twenty four tons but the average rate per cent of increase which is found by computation to be three point two six per cent that is to say for every hundred tons of coal consumed in one year a hundred and three and one quarter tons or thereabouts would be consumed in the next taking one year with another without entering into technicalities or niceties of calculation it is easy to show the difference between this view of the matter and a view founded only on the average increase during so many years consider ten thousand tons of coal sold in one year then mr stanley jevons points out that instead of that amount ten thousand three hundred and twenty six would be sold in the next and so far we may suppose that the other view would agree with his but in the next or third year always remembering however that we must take one year with another the increase of three hundred and twenty six tons would not be merely doubled according to mr stanley jevons that is the consumption would not be only ten thousand six hundred and fifty two tons the ten thousand of the second year would be replaced by ten thousand three hundred and twenty six tons in the third year and the remaining three hundred and twenty six would be increased by three and a quarter tons for each hundred or by rather more than ten and a half tons so that in all there would be ten thousand six hundred and sixty two and a quarter tons instead of ten thousand six hundred and fifty two now the difference in this third year seems small though when it is applied to about nine thousand times ten thousand tons it is by no means small amounting in fact to ninety five thousand tons but when the principle is extended to subsequent years its effects assume paramount importance the small increase is as the small increase of a farthing for the second horseshoe nail in a well-known problem the effects after a few years have passed correspond to the thousands of pounds by which the last shoe nails of the problem increase the cost of the horse as mr leonard lemoran points out in the paper mentioned in the above note if the assumed rate per cent of increase continue we shall draw in the year nineteen hundred from our rocks more than three hundred millions of tons and in nineteen fifty more than two thousand millions about three hundred thousand miners are now eighteen sixty six employed in raising more than ninety two millions of tons of tolls therefore more than eight million miners will be necessary to raise the quantity estimated as the produce of nineteen fifty one-third of the present population of great britain would be coal miners or as mr jevons himself sums up our future if our consumption of coal continue to multiply for a hundred and ten years at the same rate as hitherto the total amount of coal consumed in the interval would be one hundred thousand millions of tons 
Now, as Mr. Hull estimated the available coal in Great Britain with a depth of 4,000 feet at 83,000 millions of tons, it followed that, adopting Mr. Jevons' mode of calculation, a century would exhaust all the coal in our present workings, as well as all the coal seams which may be found at a depth of 1,500 feet below the deepest working in our kingdom. It should be added, however, that Mr. Stanley Jevons mentioned 200,000 millions of tons of the probable limit of the coal supplies of Great Britain. The opinion of Mr. Jevons respecting the probable rate of increase of our consumption was not accepted by the generality of those who examined the subject in 1865 and 1866. There were some, indeed, who considered that the assumption was absurd in every point of view. In one sense, indeed, Mr. Jevons himself would have been ready to admit that its estimates would not be justified by the result. The absurd rate of increase could not possibly be maintained beyond a certain epoch, simply because there would not be enough men to work the coal mines to the extent required. But regarding the increase as indicating the requirements of the kingdom, it would matter little whether the necessary supply failed for want of coal or for want of the means of raising the coal. In other words, removing the question from the arena of geological dispute and considering only the requirements of the country, we should have this disagreeable conclusion forced upon us. If Mr. Jevons' estimate is just that England will not be able, a century or even half a century hence, to get as many coals from her subterranean cellars as she will then require, she may half the coals, but she will not have men enough to bring them to bank. It is perhaps in this aspect that the question assumes its chief interest for us. Rightly understood, the statements of Mr. Jevons were of vital importance, so important indeed that the nation might have looked forward to the results of the commission much as a patient would await the physician's report of the result of a stethoscopic examination. The power of the nation residing, for the nonce at least, in her coal, the enforced consumption of coal at a rate which cannot be maintained, from whatever cause, means to all intents and purposes the decline and approaching demise of England's power as a nation. Furthermore, apart from all inquiries such as the commissioners undertook to make, the mere statement of the successive annual yields was to be looked upon as a vital interest, precisely as the progressive waste of a consumptive patient's strength and substance suggests even more serious apprehensions than the opinion of the physician. I have said that many eminent authorities held that the rate of increase assumed by Mr. Jevons would not actually prevail, but some went farther and questioned whether the average annual arithmetical increase of the lately past years would continue 
even for the next few years after the publication of Mr. Jevons' work, such a continued increase as that which has taken place during the last five years, wrote an excellent practical authority, cannot continue for the next ten years, far less, therefore, that increasing rate of increase which Mr. Jevons had assumed. The same writer went farther even than this, for after pointing out that the exploration of coal would probably be soon reduced, rather than undergo, as during the past, a steady increase, he added that, on every side there were evidences of the most decided character, warranting the supposition that the annual exhaustion of our coal fields would not at any period much exceed the hundred million tons which it had nearly reached in eighteen sixty six one of the most interesting questions then which the commissioners were called upon to decide was whether at least during the period of their labors the anticipations of mr jevons would be fulfilled or not it is easy to compare his anticipations with those above quoted or rather it is easy to determine whether mr jevons theory of an increasing increase or the theory of a uniform average increase accords best with the experience of the last five years to make the comparison fairly we must adopt the figures on which his own estimate was founded we have seen that he rejected the annual increase of 2,403,424 deduced from the records of the nine preceding years, and adopted instead an increase of 3.25% year by year, taking one year with another. His own calculation gave for this year, 1871, a consumption of a hundred and eighteen millions of tons an enormous increase on the annual consumption when he wrote according to the view he rejected the consumption for the year eighteen seventy one is easily computed though slightly different results will be obtained according to the year we choose to count from the annual increase above mentioned gives an increase of twenty four million thirty four thousand two hundred and forty tons in ten years and if we add this amount to the consumption in eighteen sixty one eighty three million six hundred and thirty four thousand two hundred and fourteen tons we obtain for the year eighteen seventy one a consumption of a hundred and seven million six hundred and sixty nine thousand four hundred and fifty four tons on the other hand, if we add eight years' increase to the consumption of 1863, 88,292,515 tons, we obtain 107,519,907 tons. It will be seen that there is an important difference between the consumption for 1871 as estimated according to Mr. Jevons' view, and according to the average rate of increase in the nine preceding years. As the matter stood in 1865, the great question concerning the consumption of the year 1871 would have been, 
whether it would be near 118 millions, the estimate of Mr. Jevons, or to 107 half millions, the estimate according to the annual rate of increase, or lastly, to a number of tons, not much, if at all, exceeding 100 millions. The answer of the commissioners comes in no doubtful terms. Judging from the consumption during the four years ending in 1870, the estimated consumption for the year 1872 is no less than 115 millions, an amount approaching Mr. Jevons' estimate much more nearly than could be desired. Indeed, if we consider the imperfect nature of the statistics on which he founded his calculations, the agreement between his estimate and the observed result must be regarded as surprisingly close. Remembering the conclusion to which Mr. Jevons came with respect to the period for which our coal stores would last, and noticing the close agreement thus far between his anticipations and the result, we can well understand the warning tone of the report issued by the commissioners. Every hypothesis, they say, must be speculative, but it is certain that the present rate of increase in this consumption of coal be indefinitely continued, even in an approximate degree. The progress towards the exhaustion of our coal will be very rapid. Let it be remembered that the commission was issued at the instance of those who took the more sanguine view, and that it included within its ranks such eminent authorities as Sir William Armstrong, Sir William Murchison, Professor Ramsey, Mr. John Hunt, and others of like experience in the subject under inquiry. If, in the next place, we compare Mr. Jevons' estimate of the quantity of coal available for use with the result obtained by the commissioners, we find little to restore our confidence in the extent of time during which our coal stores may be expected to last. We have seen that 200,000 millions of tons had been supposed to be available, but the commissioners find that we have an aggregate of 146-480 millions of tons, which may be reasonably expected to be available for use. Again, it has been supposed that our coal mines could be worked to a depth of 4,000 feet, or to an even greater depth. The difficulties in the way of deep mining, wrote Mr. Lemoran in 1866, are mere questions of cost. It is important to notice that the assumption of 4,000 feet as the greatest depth to which coal can be worked on account of the increase of temperature is purely voluntary. The increase has been calculated at a rate for which there is no authority, and while we are saying our coal beds cannot be, be worked below 4,000 feet, a colliery in Belgium has nearly approached that depth, and no inconvenience is experienced by the miners. But the commissioners state that, at a depth of only 2,419 feet in the Rosebridge mine, the deepest in England, the temperature is 94 degrees of Fahrenheit, 
or within four degrees of blood heat. The depth at which the temperature of the earth would amount to blood heat, they add, is about 3,000 feet. They express a belief that by the long wall system of working, a system as yet seldom adopted in the chief northern mines, it will be possible to reach a depth of 3,420 feet before this heat is attained, but it is by no means certain that this will prove to be the case. On the other hand, it will be well to regard the more promising aspect of the question. We must not forget, in the first place, that all matters of statistical research there is room for misapprehension unless careful attention be paid not merely to the observed facts but to the circumstances with which those facts are more or less intimately associated if we consider for example the progress of the consumption of our coal during the past fifteen years we find that a law of increase exists which is as we have seen easily expressed and which after being tested by a process resembling prediction has been singularly confirmed by the result but if we inquire into the various causes of the great increase in the consumption of coals we find that while these causes have been increasing in activity so to speak to a degree quite sufficient to explain the observed consumption they are yet such as in their very nature must needs to be unable to pass beyond a certain range of increase thus the population of great britain has been steadily increasing and at present the annual increase is itself increasing then the amount of coal used inland communication is increasing not only on account of the gradual extension of the railway network but also on account of the increase of population of the commerce and so on again our commerce with other countries has increased with great rapidity since the year eighteen sixty when the french treaty came into operation and it will continue to increase with the increase of our population of our means of communication within our own country as well as with foreign countries and so on but all these causes of increase are now growing in activity at a rate which must inevitably diminish our population cannot increase beyond a certain extent because the extent of the country will suffice for but a certain number of inhabitants if immigration do not prevent increase beyond that number, other causes will, or else a much more serious evil than the exhaustion of all our coal stores awaits the country. Again, the requirements of inland communication will before long be so far met that no such rapid extension as is now in progress will be called for after convenient communication has been established between all parts of the country whether the process require the formation of new lines or of new service no important increase can be required as regards to our commerce 
its increase depends necessarily on the increase at present going on into the requirements of the country year by year britain has a larger population and the average requirements of each member of the population are also increasing but we have seen that the increase of the population is necessarily limited and although the increase of the requirements of her people may not be strictly speaking limited yet it is manifest that inasmuch as the increase depends on causes which are themselves approaching a limit its rate must after a time continually diminish let it be understood that when i speak of the requirements of the population i do not mean only what they must obtain from other countries the commerce of a country is the expression of the activity with which the nation is earning a living so to speak and in a given population there is a limit to what is necessary for this purpose precisely as there is a limit to the sum which an individual person in any given state of life requires for the maintenance of a given family indeed although such comparisons are not always safe we may in this case compare what may be called the commercial requirements of the nation with the requirements of the head of the family a merchant suppose there are no limits to the degree of wealth which a merchant may desire to gain but unquestionably there are limits to the income necessary to maintain his house and family and mercantile position supposing he was extending his gains far beyond his actual requirements it would be by no means imply his approaching ruin and there was a demonstrable limit to this extension and in like manner it would seem that apart from the limits set by nature to the extension of our population it need by no means be assumed that our commerce showed signs of approaching a limit the downfall of england's power would be at hand in fact we cannot accept mr jevons figures for distant epochs without inquiring whether it is likely that at those epochs the circumstances on which the consumption of our coal depends will be correspondingly changed supposing that one hundred and twenty millions of tons of coal suffice for the requirements of our present population we can scarcely believe that one thousand four hundred forty millions will be needed in nineteen fifty unless we suppose that the population of britain will be twelve times greater than at present or that the population will be even greater than this since the consumption of coal upon our railways could scarcely be expected to increase in proportion to the population now no one believes that britain will number three hundred millions of inhabitants in nineteen fifty or in twenty nine fifty the country could not maintain half that number even though all her available stores of coal and iron and other sources of commercial wealth were increased a hundredfold it is a mistake indeed to extend the results of statistical research 
very far beyond the time to which the facts and figures belong. It would be easy to multiply instances of the incorrectness of such a process. To take a single case, when Chlorea has been extending its ravages in this country, the statistics of mortality from this cause, if studied with reference to four or five successive weeks, have indicated a law of increase, which is very readily expressed so as to accord with the mortality during these weeks, and perhaps two or three following weeks. But if such a law were extended indefinitely, it might be found to imply nothing short of the complete desolation of the country by chlorea within the space of a few months. Thus, if the deaths from chlorea in five successive weeks were twenty, twenty-seven, thirty-five, forty-seven, and sixty-three, numbers corresponding with the general characteristics of chlorea mortality in the earlier stages of a visitation, the weekly mortality a year later, estimated according to the observed percentage of increase, would be more than 173 million. Now this method of estimation, though leading to the prosperous conclusion as respects a more distant epoch, would probably lead to tolerable correct results for the next week or two after that in which 63 persons died, the estimated numbers being 84 and 110 for the next two weeks, respectively. It seems to me, therefore, that we are not justified by the observed seeming fulfillment of Mr. Jevons's anticipation in concluding that a hundred years hence the consumption of coals will be two thousand millions of tons, or the total consumption during the next hundred and ten years will be one hundred thousand millions of tons. We might almost as safely infer that because a growing lad requires such and such an increase of food year by year, the grown man will need a similar rate of increase, and the septagarian require so many tons and hogheads of solid and liquid food per diem. At present, it does not seem possible to arrive at any definite conclusions respecting the probable consumption of coal in years to come. The range of observation is not sufficiently extended. It seems clear, indeed, that the epoch is not near at hand when the present law of increase will be modified. This is shown by the agreement of the observed results during the past five years, with the anticipations of Mr. Jevons. It would be altogether unsafe to predict that the yearly consumption will not rise to 150 or 200 or even 250 millions of tons per annum, or to point to any definite stage at which the present increasing rate of increase will be changed first into uniform or arithmetical increase and thence into a decreasing rate of increase but it appears to me that no question can exist that these changes will take place we might even go farther and regard it as all but certain that the time will come when there will be no annual increase 
nay unless the history of this country is to differ from the history of all other nations which have attained to greater power the time might be expected to arrive when there will be year by year a slow diminution in the commercial activity of britain and a corresponding diminution in the exhaustion of her coal stores there is room for an amazing increase in britain's power and greatness room also for an unprecedented co continuance of these attributes while yet the coal stores of the country remain well supplied let us conceive for instance that the great annual consumption of the coal during the future years of england's existence as a great nation should be set at three times her present annual consumption or at three hundred and fifty millions of tons few will regard this as an unduly low estimate when they remember that it is exceedingly likely that the present population of britain will ever be tripled and that a triple population could be commercially far more active in relation to its members than the present population with no greater consumption of coal per head now to begin with if this enormous annual consumption began immediately we should yet with mr jevons assumption as to the quantity of available coal have five hundred and seventy years lease of power instead of a hundred and ten but as a matter of fact so soon as we have recognized the principle that there is a limit to the increase of annual consumption we are compelled to believe that that limit will be approached by a much gentler gradient so to speak than the same consumption as attained on mr jevons assumption according to his view in fact an annual consumption of three hundred and fifty millions of tons per annum will be attained early in the twentieth century but according to the theory which sets such a consumption as the highest ever to be attained we should place its attainment several hundreds of years later this is a vague statement i admit but the very fact on which i am mainly insisting is this that the evidence at present in our hands is insufficient as a basis of exact calculation now if we set five hundred years hence as the time when the annual consumption of coal will have reached the enormous amount we should set the total consumption during those centuries at about one-half that due to an annual consumption of three hundred and fifty millions of tons in that case there would still remain coal enough to supply the country for three hundred and twenty years at the same tremendous rate in all on these suppositions eight hundred and twenty years would be provided for these would be years of commercial activity far exceeding that of our own day in fact they would be years during which britain would be accumulating wealth at a rate so enormous that at the end of the era she would be not wholly unprovided with the means of supporting her existence as a nation 
apart from all reference to her mineral stores it is indeed utterly inconvincible i think that great britain and her people will ever be able to progress at the rate implied by these suggestions to conceive of great britain as arriving at ruin within a thousand years by an over-rapid exhaustion of her coal stores is in fact equivalent to supposing that she will attain in the interval to a wholly unprecedented i had almost said a wholly incredible degree of wealth and power as regards the evidence which has been adduced respecting the extent of the available coal supply it is to be remarked that on the whole the result cannot be regarded as unfavorable the more sanguine views entertained five or six years ago have not indeed been fully justified yet our coal supply has been shown to be enormous even when considered with reference to the continually increasing exhaustion but it must be admitted that the question of the depth to which our coal mines may be conveniently or even possibly worked has an unpleasantly doubtful aspect of the stores which the commissioners regard as available a vast proportion must be mined out from the depth far exceeding any which have been at present reached in england it is not as yet clear how far the increase of depth will add to the cost and risk of working nor do i propose to discuss a subject which can only be adequately dealt with by those who possess practical knowledge of the details of colliery working i will content myself by quoting some remarks on the subject in an inaugural address delivered by mr george elliot one of the royal commissioners before the north of england institute of mining engineers in eighteen sixty eight the great depth he remarked at which many of our pits are worked and the vast extent of their lateral ramifications make it more than ever necessary that we should secure the best mode of rendering the supply of pure air certain regular and safe it is maintained that ventilating by machinery ensures these deserata that the nicety with which mechanical appliances may be regulated the delicate adjustment of power of which they are capable and the complete safety with which they may be worked place them far before the system they are intended to supersede the extent of our coal supply will be materially increased by the improvement of which this is a type it is probable that the ordinary means of ventilation whether by furnace or fan may be aided by a change in the force or agency employed for the purposes of haulage and other independent work as an instance of my meaning i may mention that the apparatus which i have introduced in south wales and which by means of compressed air used as a motive power instead of steam draws trams and pumps water with complete success is found to generate ice in an atmosphere which is naturally hot and oppressive the mechanical usefulness of these new air engines seems capable of infinite extension while 
as their cooling properties form a collateral advantage arising out of their use it is at least possible that they may prove valuable auxiliaries to the more regular means of ventilation in extending the security and promoting the healthfulness of our minds the difficulties of ventilation once surmounted, the extent of coal at our disposal is incalculably increased. In the address just quoted, there are some striking suggestions as to the possibility of working those coal fields which extend below the sea on our east and west coasts, especially in the counties of Durham, Northumberland, and Cumberland. Mr. Elliot remarks that, for all practical purposes, these fields are and is entirely within the reach of the mining engineer, as the ordinary workings out of which coal is hewed. It is known that, in many districts, the coal strata extend ten or twelve miles beyond the shore, and Mr. Elliot believes that by sinking ventilating shafts in the German Ocean, the coal below may be safely worked the idea seems somewhat daring yet after the feats of engineering which have been achieved in our day there seems no valid reason for doubting that at least when the pressure of a failing coal supply begins to be felt the means will be found for rendering these immense submarine coal stores available as to the difficulty of transport, Mr. Elliot remarks that, according to his estimates, transport would neither be more costly nor more laborious than it had been in days gone by to convey coal the same distance after it was brought to the surface inland. The enormous importance of the subject is shown by the fact that, out of the minerals obtainable in Durham alone, one-third, Mr. Elliot tells us, may be held to lie under the sea, and that all coal-fields having a similar inclination of strata and bordering on the ocean will be similarly enlarged. This at once disposes, he adds, of some of the fears expressed as to the duration of our coal supply, and while I am quite aware that these theories may be challenged, they are not put forward without due deliberation, and I am content to state my professional reputation on their practicability. With regard to the future of this country, it appears to me that little anxiety need to be entertained. Apart from the considerations I have urged, which seem to indicate that our consumption cannot long increase at the same rate as at present, it seems not unreasonable to anticipate that within the next few decades science will find the means of economizing our coals in more ways than one. It does not indeed appear likely that any form of fuel will ever take the place of coal, but a portion of the work now derived from the consumption of coal may be expected to be derived in future years from some of the other substances now coming into use. It may be hoped also that science may suggest means for bringing coals to the surface with less waste, and even at less cost than at present, and in other ways the process of exhaustion may be more or less effectively checked. 
but while we may thus look somewhat confidently forward as i judge to the future of our country serious questions are suggested as to the future of the human race the period during which a nation flourishes long as it seems by comparison with the life of man yet sinks into insignificance when compared with the period during which civilized men will bear sway upon the earth the thousands of years during which the coal stores of the earth may be expected to last will pass away and then the descendants of those now living on the earth will have to trust to other force supplies that those which we are now using so lavishly it may be seen fanciful to look so far forward and yet by comparison with periods which the astronomer deals with in considering the future of our earth thousands of years are as nothing as i have said elsewhere those thousands of years will pass as surely as the thousands which have already passed and the wants entailed by wastefulness in our day will then be felt and none the less that for so many years there had been no failure in the supplies contained within the great subterranean storehouse it behoves us to consider thoughtfully the want even of those distant eras if the greatest good for the greatest number is to be regarded as the true rule for the conduct of intelligent beings then unquestionably mere distance in point of time should not prevent us from anticipating the requirements of those remote descendants of ours we should regard the consciousness of this duty and its performance as signs by which the superiority of our own over less civilized times is partially manifested as man is in dignity higher than non-intelligent animals in that he alone provides of his own forethought for the wants of his children so our generation would be raised in dignity above preceding generations if it took intelligent charge of the wants of its remote descendants we ourselves are now employing stores of force laid up for us by the unconscious processes of nature in long past ages as professor tyndall has finely said we are utilizing the sun of the carboniferous epoch the light which streamed earthwards from the sun was stored up for us by the unconscious activity of organisms which living took into them the solar light and by the consumption of its energy incessantly generated chemical forces the vegetable world of that old epoch constituted the reservoir in which the fugitive solar rays were fixed suitably deposited and rendered ready for useful application what the vegetable world did for us unconsciously during the carboniferous epoch the scientific world of our epoch must do for our remote descendants while we are consuming the stores of force laid up in past ages for our benefit we must invent the means for obtaining directly from the solar rays fresh and inexhaustible supplies of motive energy from the st paul's magazine november eighteen seventy one
End of section seven. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.